Hi, and welcome to the Dewing Grain podcast. Each week, we bring you the Dewing Grain Market Report, giving you up-to-date information and insider advice, followed by Farm Chat, where we catch up on agricultural issues while sampling a beer. Andrew's favourite bit. So let's start with Andrew Dewing and this week's Market Report. Welcome to the Market Report. What follows is my thoughts or gut instincts of what the market is going to do. It is not an instruction to trade. Any decision to trade is yours. Market Report for week commencing 5th of August 2019. We are in full flow. There's been a bit of rain around, as we all know, and uh, it's holding us up. And if you believe the forecast, you're a fool because when it says it's going to rain, it doesn't. And when it says it's going to be dry, then it rains. So I guess we just got to feel really grateful down here in uh, Norfolk that we aren't getting the weather uh, that's happening up north. And you you have to have thoughts for any farmer that's suffering the miseries of, of excessive rain and the damage being done to the crops up there. So grateful for that. We still have our miseries and there's a number of things that we'll skim across and touch on this week, but harvest is proving to be not quite as straightforward as the last couple we've just enjoyed. Right, where should we start? We shall start with malting barley. Winter barley is largely done with as far as we're concerned. We've got a few guys to tidy up movement on. If you own storage space as a farmer, yourself on the farm or outsourcing it to someone like us, then you're fine. You can get stuff moved easily. There's a large number of people we've moved who don't own storage space. We have a large commitment of very good malting barley growers, and those guys have produced a slightly bigger crop than expected, and storage space is becoming incredibly tight. Now, the people we're most obliged to uh, service are the ones who own the space, and the ones who don't. You have to, at some point, say, look, guys, you can't choose anger as your response if someone doesn't move something that morning, if you really have got nowhere to take it. The molsters are maxed out at the moment. The only other merchant in the county who's got storage is also taking in stuff at a fairly hefty pace. No one else has bothered to invest, and especially the farmer who produces it has not bothered to invest. So let's be real about who's created the problem here. At this point, we're reasonably popular, and I think we've moved, as I say, just about everything on the winter barley front. But it certainly stops us from buying any more, because we are now on winter malting barley full. Spring barley. First samples, let's talk about the good bits. It's bold, it's good low nitrogen, the germination's good, it hasn't been ruined by the weather yet. It's slightly damp, that's not a problem. Obviously that's a problem for people who don't own storage space and they will see drying charges and obviously that makes us some form of thief. But the reality is you're cutting something, you're preserving the premium for it and if it's not in spec it's got to be dried. And yep, there are going to be drying charges. Movement, yep. We've got the space set aside. We're whizzing it in as quickly as we possibly can, so there's no hold up on that. The problem aspect of this year's crop is the secondary growth. There is a problem, without any doubt, with a larger amount, you know, up to 5-6% secondary growth on the weighed sample coming in. Now, for a storekeeper, that's a complete nightmare. So any farmer that's just putting the stuff away and thinking, I'll keep that till November... When you've got those individual little pockets of almost pure water in amongst the bulk, it is a recipe for, for trouble. And we're, we're obviously drying our product going into the bin. The weight loss will be greater, and getting the stuff into condition and down to the right moisture is, is a problem. I am worried about the secondary growth, and it is going to be a costly experience. Beware, on your own farm, if you're putting that stuff in a bin, make sure that you're constantly monitoring it. 
you can dry it, get those uh, green grains shriveled up, then get them under control, then you're going to be fine. But it is an issue that you cannot ignore, so focus on it. Prices, winter malting barley traded between 135x and 140x and then back down to 135x as space became an issue. At this moment, as I say, that is nearly all over by the shouting. There is a lot of winter malting barley out there still to move and we have other merchants refusing to take the extra bit. So there's several farmers who don't trade with us who want us to do clear up loads for them. So unfortunately, I don't think we can help. Spring barley... 150x is around value for distilling varieties. The market hasn't really got going yet. There's some big question marks about the spring barley market. The Scottish crop is really the key. They've had a very, well, overcast summer so far, and the crop is definitely lacking sunlight, and um, it needs sunshine to finish it off. If that doesn't come through, then there could well be some issues with the Scottish crop, which could push prices up. We've seen that many times in the past, where there seems to be an overabundance of barley in the south, and the market drops away, then suddenly there's a problem in the north, or Denmark has an issue, and up goes the price again. So at this moment in time, the crop is coming in in good nick, with good yields, albeit for the green grains, and therefore the price should be pretty boring and sideways for the time being, and then probably drop off. If there's a problem up north or in Denmark, then things could kick off later. We don't know the answer to that yet. The other thing is, normally we have a big export programme. I believe it's been suggested there's probably about 100,000 tonnes on the books for export out of the UK before the, the dreaded Brexit. If that's the case and we have expected yields, they're going to leave us with 200,000 tonnes of surplus. So unless there's a problem, we will have a surplus and that doesn't bode well for price. So, again, there's lots of unknowns within that, so just bear that in the back of your head, that uh, if we don't get uh, the ability to export our surplus, where is it going to go? Because there's only so much that's actually malted in the UK. Right, what should I get cheerful about? Uh, Oilseed rape, that's come under a bit of pressure because of space as well. Value about 322 uh, for harvest movement. Yeah, that's still we still believe the market's going to be bullish on that. You now have to weigh up. Do I want some cash? Do I want to pay for storage and take the risk of it going up or down? I, we think there is movement in the market upwards, but will it cover the cost of not having the money in the bank and the storage? So probably we're encouraging a little bit of harvest selling and some storage to, to hedge your bets. But um, it has been a success story in the context of it going up. Yeah, some of the yields have been disappointing, made up a bit for by the price. The UK crushes about 2 million tonnes and it produces 1.7 million. So... We're going to import, and word has it, rumour has it, that uh, the crushers have actually got several cargoes of oilseed rape for September on their books to alleviate the month where traditionally UK farmers don't sell it. So I reckon some of the gap has been filled by the crushers already. Uh, Europe is really about 2 million tonnes shorter than it was last year. And one of the key suppliers last year into Europe was the Ukraine, which had a smaller crop. So there is an underlying friendliness to oil seeds across the continent. Moving on to wheat, our view is it's a big crop. There is a space issue. There isn't that much export on the books at this point. We think the market is going to come under pressure. The last couple of days has seen the market come down quite hard. As I record it, the market might bounce a ditty bit, but I actually think we're going to see harvest pressure on wheat. I think that at the moment, what we've seen is good yields, you know, very healthy yields. Proteins are a bit lower on the samples, which which is a sign of a bigger yield. Kilo weights and hagbugs at the moment are good, but the weather forecast is not good. 
across the board. So anyone who's traded milling wheat in the past will know that it's a good time to get as many tonnes of the stuff that's cut in the barn because you need to protect stuff that's got the hagberg. If the hagberg goes, and let's all hope it doesn't, but if the hagberg goes, then there's going to be an awfully large amount of feed wheat floating around this country, and that is very, very bad prospects for our prices. So let's, let's go prices on wheat. As I say, I think, I think storage space could become an issue. Some of my stores have used up their, some of the space for extra barley, which is reducing what I've got. So I'm, I'm slightly concerned at this point. You know, I think aggressiveness on price for a storekeeper with the prospects for a wet harvest as, the, as it goes on, I, I'm afraid I, I think prices are going to be struck by the lack of buyers who can actually move it. Cheerful stuff. Anyway, harvest price at time of speaking is 136 delivered store for harvest. Immediate movement, i.e. I've cut it, why hasn't it gone yet? Oh, I'm going to get angry in a minute. Um, 131x. If you could sell it for the whole of August, you get 133x. If you're selling it for November, 139x. And if you're selling it for next May, you'd get 146x. So that's about it, I think. It's... um. Yeah, I I think this is a harvest that is bigger than expected, and I think the consequences of that is there is a a problem developing for storage space. No one else, as I say, has invested in it, and therefore there will be some very strange places that people shove corn for a week or two that I'm sure the task or the ACCS uh, inspector won't be told about. So, yep, let's get get on with it, let's get it in, and uh, hopefully I'm completely wrong on my miserable price predictions. Thank you for listening. Please remember that any decision to trade on this opinion is yours. Harvest 2019 is here. Give your grain a better chance of making the grade. Dewing grain for immediate movement and fair treatment. And now it's time for Farm Chat. This morning I've got with me Charles Whittaker of Brown & Co, land agents and agricultural advisory business. Good morning, Charles. Morning, Andrew. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Let's, let's go straight on to the future. We're facing uh, the terrible B word, which I'm no doubt we're going to talk about. Where on earth do you go to when you go to a farm and say, right, what are we going to do next? Good question. Well, of course, if, if only we knew as a country where we were going next, it would help with that, wouldn't it? But I think despite what's happened in the last few weeks, I think you'll know and appreciate that we've been sort of on this since since the vote, really, in terms of concerns for the agriculture industry and what happens to regular farming businesses who've been doing what they've been doing for a long time, faced with a possible no deal, bad deal or Brexit altogether. Single farm payment is the obvious first question. What are your thoughts? Yeah, so basic payment, um, as we already know from sort of Gove's plan that was put out some time ago, is going to be phased out. Uh, 2020 is the last year as we know it. We've then got five years where it will reduce to zero. And we don't know how fast any replacement scheme is going to come into force, which is the all-important issue here um, under the banner of ELMS, Environmental Land Management Payments or Scheme, and what that's going to look like or feel like from everyday farmers' businesses standpoint. So yes, we are concerned about that. I think as we've, we've said and talked about often enough, you and I before, Andrew, mm. the, the loss of that income to the sector, whilst some around the sector and indeed government might see that as a healthy uh, efficiency gaining entrepreneurial mm. encouragement sort of move, I think we are, as a, as a sector, very concerned about it, an industry very concerned about it. Because if you look at the P&L of farming businesses, people that you and I trade with, 
and deal with. And if you take away uh, basic payment on many of them, there's not much left. Look, I'm a grain trader and uh, there's going to be less grain grown. So I'm fighting for a smaller pile with, uh, well, there's less people allegedly out there, but it's, it's going to become very tough for us. We've invested heavily in storage and, and all sorts of commitment to trying to provide a service for a fairly large moving crop. My only hope is in Norfolk that, that it's probably one of the last places we will keep growing in earnest as many, as many acres. Yeah, I think the, the implications for changes in land use, which you're probably alluding to, are you know, not yet fully understood or known. But I think what we can say is where we've got challenging soils, either light soils with limited yield capability or heavy land with black grass burden or whatever it might be, that means the economics are challenged, then I think um, we can expect to see less done on those soils. Whether that means some sort of fallow system or environmental payment instead, yeah, uh, or just a more extensive practice where we can you know, rationalise and, and reduce costs substantially by changing farming systems, we obviously don't know yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the problems everybody's got, I think, from a farmer's standpoint, and you know, we, we deal with a lot of them, we're probably the largest of our like in, in East Anglia. Yeah, the business has been involved with for a long time, it's family structures, it's ownership structures, it's operational structures and disentangling them and changing them is not something that uh, people want to do lightly, for obvious reasons. No, I mean, you, you, when you go onto a farm and you are confronted with the decision maker and the uh, you know, succession and all of those things, you, you, and someone says, what do I do next, Charles? You must have to weigh up personality type. I mean, what do you, how, is it a, it's psychoanalysis before you start and then say, well, <laughs> this guy's not going to be geared for tourists on his farm? or what? what? Possibly. I think it's many things. We're talking about diversification, possibly. But I think even before we get to that, it's, you know, what does that business and those involved with it want to be doing over the next five to ten years? And can the sectors they're involved with perform and make a return, you know, without significant government support that we have at the moment? But that's, yes. but that's a, you know, if you're confronted with a guy who wants to physically drive a tractor, physically farm, physically do things, and you have to turn around and say, here are the sums and he doesn't want to hear the, the facts, the, the, you still have to press ahead and say, look, if you do that, it's going to make a loss? I mean, well, how do you... We've been here before, so we've been, been mm. around a day or two in the early 90s when you know, wheat was 55, 60 pounds yeah. a tonne, many, many years of not making any money, mm. um, some other sort of shocks around at that time when people were, particularly tenants, were struggling and insolvencies around, so all sorts of other economic stress, and ultimately that's what drives decision-making, but... Hopefully, we're all a bit more sophisticated than that now in terms... And there are more choices. You know, property values are higher, planning policy is more relaxed. Mm. It's much more straightforward now to access other income on farms, whether it be in yards, houses, land, whatever it might be, than ever it was in those days, for mm. all sorts of reasons. Yep. You know, public's a bit more savvy. Social media makes it easier to reach an audience. Um, there are many, many things um, that one can do, and I think it's just a question of when people want to change and want to accept that perhaps change is coming. I mean, and, and throw into that the terrible Brexit word. I mean, that, that is the real, the unknown, isn't it? Yeah, and I think, you know, if we'd had this interview perhaps um, six months ago, then maybe one's conclusions would have been different. But as we sort of start to hear the ramped-up rhetoric about a hard Brexit end of October and the potential tariff implications on this crop that we're harvesting now, let alone the one we're already putting in, mm-hmm. planning to put in the ground for next year, I think there are some very serious implications in the short term. Yeah, we, we, we can't export the surplus of barley or wheat in the period between now and the end of October. If we tried our hardest and got lots of people to buy it from us, we couldn't get it out of the country in time. Sure. So if we're going to see tariffs imposed 
into EU markets or third markets post 31st of October, that's going to have an effect on the trade. And also, perhaps, the crops that people might choose to grow for the following year, which we're making those decisions right now, have already been made, most of them probably. Yeah, that's a really good point, actually. Just thinking in this conversation, when we get to October, if it really is hard Brexit and we really are not going to clear the surplus, the implication for the following crop is, is immense, actually. It means you're going to need to sell everything you can for the following year on the assumption that there's a surplus and there's a further surplus for the following year because people aren't going to change their acreage that much. Yeah. Oh boy, that's a that's a decision while we're having a conversation. Well, I think we? even now, I mean, you know, feed barley, feed winter barley has been sort of a poor relation crop for many years. There's been a couple of years in the last in the last four or five where we've had the old blip in markets, but it's been pretty dull. Mm. And I think you know, planting feed barley for next year is a question of an exercise, I would say, because that's a. We've got an exportable surplus to clear. Yeah. It's a market that likes to react to downward cycles in the, in the marketplace. And perhaps joining poor crops of rate that's hard now to grow with, uh, with no near necks. You know, why are we doing it? You know, and, and this is the bigger conversation. You've talked about the guy that likes to drive the tractor and wherever he might be. Operationally, we're sort of committed, aren't we, to operating every acre all the time. And, yeah. and we have the cost structure to do that, labour machinery and all the rest of it, which are now high. And I think that's the big treadmill as to how we get off this production-orientated farming system that we've all been involved with, including mm-hmm. the supply industry, including our industry and our sector, including obviously the farmer, because that's what's probably going to need to change quite fast. Yeah. I tell you what, we're, we're in danger of being really, really... I mean, we have podcasts and people are driving along. They'll be driving into the you know, sea at this rate. Let's just try and be cheerful. Let's talk about something, um, let's talk about something slightly different, first of all. I'm going to bring up the subject of Argentina, because I, I, I find this fascinating about you, Charles. You have an involvement, a big involvement in that country, and I've been on a tour of Argentina with you where there was no sleep and just driving around in buses up tracks for seemed like days, days on, on end. Yeah. <laughs> right. What's happening over there? Interesting economic circumstance there at the moment. They've got um, hyperinflation, 30 to 40%. So they've had a, a big uh, a devaluation of, of their currency, which has helped on export pricing to an extent, but also has put up the cost of uh, imported fertilizer and uh, seed products substantially. And inflation obviously affects payroll and everything else. So their cost of production have changed quite significantly since we were there on that tour. Hmm. Um, they're still a low-cost producer, and perhaps where we're heading, you know, they've for the last 20 years probably have been deciding uh, whether they put a crop in the ground, and if they do, have they got it sold or hedged before they put it in the ground to make a margin? Uh, and if they haven't, they won't, or they'll change their cropping uh, decision-making, and I think that's maybe something we can learn from. They've obviously been under the cosh of negative support through an export tariff on crop production and beef for many, many years, and so they've been used to looking hard at total cost of production, which is another lesson I think um, we can learn, and indeed we need to. Stop talking about gross margin, start talking about net margin. The arable sector has been profitable in the UK because of subsidy. If we get to a point like next October and the price for feed barley is 120x for harvest movement, it's a sell, and it's a sell of the whole lot, isn't it? That's the point. It's the, there won't be any messing around. That's a profit. I'll grow it. I'll buy the seed now. I'll sell it all. And that, that is something we just haven't done. Generally, as an industry, yeah, certainly one or two years forward, I think that's right. I think in terms of, you know, you were looking for some some grounds for optimism, because I don't want to appear to be sort of uh, (laughs) too depressing about agriculture. I think we have got a lot of challenge ahead. I think it will change 
land use at scale, which will affect all those involved in the sector, from our business to your business and all the other supplier yeah, industries. You've got to be quick well. on your feet, haven't you? You've got to be the people that are the best at the way to deal with whatever's going on. Yes, and also recognising reality. Mm. You know, that if we have got light brick soils and no water, or we've got heavy heavy clay loams that have got a heavy resistant blackgrass burden, you know, there might be other things we want to be doing with it, or even nothing under an ELM scheme, mm. or manage nothing under an ELM mm. scheme, where we make significantly more rather than losing money by dragging yeah, over it every year. Absolutely, but I think that's open eyes, isn't yeah. it? It's, it's open eyes. Absolutely, this is what we've always done. Isn't the answer to the future. Correct. Yeah. yeah. So, um, right. Let's let's get really like farmers now. What, so, what are the crops like out in Argentina? We obviously, I think, well, right now, obviously, it's winter. Mm-hmm. So, winter wheat's gone in. You know, June, July, and they're looking forward to a much more exciting maize market because, uh, of course, the U.S. corn crop is, despite what USDA's acreage plantings might say, we think it's going to be significantly down. I'm with you on that. Late, very late, and so Argentina obviously produces their crop before next year's U.S. maize crop comes off, either 2020 crop. Mm-hmm. So they're looking forward for a high price maize year. So they'll swing a bit, in my view anyway, uh, from soy, a bit of the acreage from soy to maize. Let's go on to something else we've done together. Which There's, a, there's something occurred recently. The, the Futures Exchange have announced that futures stores no longer need to pay rates if you're marketing your own grain. And for some of the bigger estates... That's a real opportunity, isn't it? Because we've worked with you closely on a couple of on a couple of uh, our stores, quite big stores, yeah. And again, perhaps brings us into planning policy as well. But um, where, as you say, substantial storage investments done sensibly in mm-hmm. terms of uh, looking hard at sort of least cost methodology of putting stores up for flat floor stores for futures use has been has been great where we've been involved together in doing it. I mean, the raising burden has been not insignificant at sort of one fifty to one eighty a ton, I suppose. Yeah, but equally. I think we'd agree we've been able to add sort of 8 to 10 pounds a ton mm. for own farmers' grain plus make a sensible return on the investment in the storage itself. Yeah, so, I mean, I see that as an opportunity. This, this is a big moment for uh, registering new stores. I think we, we will be doing that. We'll be adding to our storage portfolio because all of a sudden we can turn around to the bigger guys and say, look, we're the people with the expertise to help you through this. Some others might pretend to be the experts shortly, but uh, they've never been anywhere up to now. And I think we will see uh, an opportunity there for the farmers to make more money for their grain at the very least. To deliver into their own future store, yeah, effectively. basically, yeah. To, yeah. to take it in the same share they're already taking it into and get an extra premium. Yeah. But it, all right, you've got to be task re- registered and you've got to... But that's easily enough done. It's only, it's only really one step up from ACCS. And if you're earning extra money, there's some capital there that you can actually you know, improve yourself anyway. Yeah, and having enough scale to, uh, to justify you know, what else goes with that, way bridge, intake controls and all the rest of it. But I think going back to planning, having been able to put up big sheds on farms for, for many, many years under sort of normal farming requirement legislation, but now generally with more relaxed planning, planning policy, I would say, where planners are in my view anyway much more in tune with rural business investment employment and the need for that um, putting up big sheds for future store whether we use them for future store now or for the next 10 years or 20 years or whether we use them for something else mm. but getting an asset on the farm with an income earning potential over yep. and above growing production crops, yeah, crops a, is a good thing a big statement for that individual farming unit to say right what are we what do we do how can we value add um, with the people that are going to be living in the house next door to this you know what can we do and it's I agree it's a, it, it diversifies and you don't know 20 years from now it might be toilet roll you're, you're storing in there for a lot more money than grain makes you yeah and I think again um, as we sort of 
go through a period of change and hopefully land values will hold up, but we'll talk about that maybe in a minute, where we've been able to use debt based on land as security and cheap debt, you know, at maybe three, sub 3% fixed for 10 years or even 3% fixed for longer than 10 years, to put up assets like that hmm. or poultry or pig facilities where we then earn substantial more additional revenues on that asset. For the farming yeah. business, it's been a good thing, and that's one thing we've, we're driving hard to encourage farmers to do. Yeah, free-range chickens have been big with you as well, haven't they? Well, broilers, more particularly, you know, big-scale investments, three to five million into, into broiler production you know, to, meet, to meet demand really, that we have locally. And thank goodness we do, both in pigs and, and the broiler industry, because they're large consumers of feed grains. Mm. Just back to the grain storage side of it, I mean, obviously not everybody's going to build a great big shed. Do you see the people with a, with a smaller farming unit outsourcing that? Because there's always a thing. Central storage is, is something that's been sold forever, and lots of them have gone broke and all the rest of it. But, you know, assuming you, you look at the future and you look at your yard and you can say, I can do this, this, and this with those buildings, and all of those are undermined by having an ugly old grain store in the middle of it, do you think more people will effectively outsource grain storage to these bigger units? Yes, possibly, but maybe not as we have. We've seen some of those big units emerge up and down the country, haven't we? And we perhaps won't mention any specific words, which might excite you, Andrew. But I think, yes, modernising storage, because we know that some of the storage facilities around probably aren't up to scratch. They're yeah. difficult to get people to work in. They're inefficient to deliver to from a farmer's own point of view. If we're going to see holdings being generally farmed by fewer operating, operating businesses, and I'm sure we are, we're going to have some yards maybe with defunct storage systems in them or maybe just with other, other opportunities. Yeah, so that's if we the can point, isn't it? So the, the bigger units, the people who are going to tempt in the farmers to come into their group, if you like, are going to say, we manage the storage, it comes here, and there's a premium for it, and therefore that gives you the opportunity, Mr Farmer, to do that with that shed. Yeah, and if we can put up flat floor stores from 65 to to £100 a tonne, depending on what's in it, and that's the place that that areas grain goes that that farm business is responsible for and that releases farmyard assets on other farms that are in that mm. pool who can do other things with them whether that's converting to offices or to warehousing or to a light industry or or housing and there's plenty of those opportunities still around yeah. and, and I, I would say and people listening to this might disagree strongly but planning has never been easier it's not easy uh, it's not a walk in the park, but it's never been more open yeah. to engagement with the farming and industry. To I be say. seen to do something to help. I, I just I would pick you up on the, the cost of flat full storage. Absolutely right. But when you when you're handling a crop in a harvest like 2019, you need more than just flat floor storage. Don't you? you need that infrastructure. You need the the, the dryer that can yeah. cope with it coming all on one day. It needs to be decent you know facilities either side of it. It's the cost of doing it properly for these bigger units is big because of the infrastructure yeah but you but and i both know in the years that we've been involved with people that have built stores even with drying capability we build them at 110 112 pounds a ton whereas you've got other people in the same year spending double that that's <laughs> my point there, there have been some very strange small storage units put up in the last uh, two or three years yes and and then when you hear uh, you know poverty being pleaded it is mildly surprising but hey, I, I'm not the one who does the maths on that farm. No, and people make their own decisions, don't they? Yeah, yeah which is great, which is yeah. good. But let's let's be real about the sense of it in a commercial. Maybe further down the line, there'll be another use for that shed, and that will actually be a good decision. Yeah, but thinking about where it's going to be, what the access is like, how yeah. we're going to get on with other, other vehicle movements all year round rather than just at harvest and those sort of things. But I think planning policy, 
I think is a key message for farmers at the moment in terms of if income is going to t- be taking a hit, how do we use the asset base of those farming businesses to either invest in other assets on their farm or use some of their assets for alternative uses that can generate additional income flows that provide a real return on capital. Mm. And now normally at this point, Charles, we, uh, we, ha- we get a beer in and I get Webby in. Webby comes across and he... he, he He's a drinker, is he? Well, he, he reluctantly opens a beer and we have a little chat and have a, a slightly lighter aspect of the conversation. But you've got a fairly hefty uh, car journey following this. So on this occasion, we're going to abstain and we're going to leave Webby slaving away yeah. at the desk. Yeah, good. So Adding it, some value to hopefully my customers' grain sales that he's doing today. I, I think the market is about to go down a bit because I think the, the harvest yield is, is on wheat good. What do you think about that? Um, not, I don't think we're into wheat fully enough to know whether how good it's going to be. I tend to agree. I think wheat is going to look okay. I think rape is extremely variable to poor. Mm. Will be my reading of the, of the situation thus far. Barley's okay generally, except on some very light soils. Yield is slightly better um, than people thought. There's bits yeah. and pieces left. Yeah. Just on pricing, uh, you're, you're closer to that than I am. I've been hoping that the U.S. situation will get a bit more publicity than it has to date in terms of impacting global markets. 12th of August, next report, that should write the acreage down again. But I think we won't see the true impact. I, I totally agree. I think that's the biggest event for 25 years on the corn crop in the States, and it will come home in September, it's October. Later. Yeah. But in between now and then, the job of the USDA is to keep everybody subdued and, and talk it down. So I think it could be volatile on the 12th of August. They might write the acreage down and people trade on the official figures, but I wouldn't hold my breath. I, I think the biggest issue short term is the volume and the lack of places to take it. And maybe the trade's concerns post the end of October. Are we going to get commitments to buying crop at maybe we can squeeze £150 for June 20? We take yeah, the farm or yeah, close to yeah, that, which yeah. I think is a sell yeah, because of the challenges that are coming. But is the trade going to commit to that at, at volume given the uncertainties around exports? At this precise moment, I can commit to it. Everyone can commit to it because they can sell futures at, at something that re- relates to that. So, yes. But if the futures price comes under pressure and the consumer holds back because he says, why should I buy it? I've got no competition after October. Then that's another reason why the UK's got pressure on it. There may be something announced that makes us suddenly think we can export everything. And maybe we will. You know, we're, we're, we're cheap. The pound goes down and the state's price has gone up because of their troubles. We may well be shoving large boats across to the east coast of America. But I think it's got to drop a five or so before we get close to yeah, that. Yeah, no fair point. And wheat's turning will help us, won't it? Just going back to our, our, our business, which you asked about earlier, I think um, yeah, we, we do see shrinkage in the ag sector, so that means shrinkage in potential client base for us, which we're focused on, which is why we've been diversifying doing a few other different things, particularly around planning and architecture, mm-hmm. to be able to add some value. And I think going forward, yeah, we need, we're all going to need to be stuck on our feet. We see land values dropping. You know, they've already dropped quite a bit. We see them dropping a bit further. Rental values coming under pressure. And all of that's going to be you know, work that we need to be trying to stay ahead of to help our, our clients get through, really. On a lighter note, something that perhaps lots of people don't know about you, you you're motorcyclists. Occasionally, yeah, yeah, I am. I've been for so, 30 years or so, yes. Yeah, yeah well, me too. I, I, we were talking about you know, getting down to the other side of the country in a, in a quicker space of time, but you can't actually work. You, you know, it's, no. it's harder to focus or concentrate on one or two. It is. Hard, hard to be on the phone on a bike, yeah. Yeah, and, but it's, 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 I'm, I'm surprised by that. I didn't put you down as a, as a motorcyclist. You don't well, look like... Several things you don't know about me, Andrew, probably, but not all of them will come out in this meeting, that's for sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you got that sort of yeah. kind of vague, vaguely ACDC edge to you, that kind of you know rocker 
Is that no, you? No, 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 no. Left that, left that behind a long time ago. I'm afraid. Yeah. Right, Charles. I know you've got to get off and uh, and head down south. So thank you so much for coming in and sparing some time with us today. No, thanks for asking, Andrew. Good, good to see you again. And uh, let's look forward to a happy harvest and uh, and a not as difficult Brexit as we perhaps imagined. Always a happy harvest of doing great. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to get new episodes as they're released. Dewing Grain are independent and local grain traders. From seed supply to harvest movement and storage contracts, we can supply you with the best strategies to help you achieve the highest prices for your harvest. Call now on 01263 731 550 or email info at dewinggrain.co.uk or follow us on Twitter. We are at dewinggrain. The Dewing Grain Podcast is produced by Tinshed Productions in conjunction with East Coast Design Studio.